0: Cynthia Murphy, and I'm Georgia Bowers, and this is Delete My Browser History. Hello. Hello. Um, We've had our catch-up off mic. Yeah. So, feel, oh, wait, Loli's here. Hi, Lowly. Hi. Special guest. Yeah, special guest Lowly. What's up? Oh, she's biting me. She might want to go outside. Do you want to go outside? <laughs> Right, we'll start again in a sec. We can just get going,
1: can't we? Can we? I hope everybody's recovered from our last from our last topic of conversation.
0: Well, it was a couple ago now, wasn't it? So yes, the, it we're recording this at the end of June. So our episode on euphemisms has just come out. Yeah. And I didn't know what to call it. Because <laughs> it's like I put the artwork on like Twitter and Instagram. I couldn't really just call it different names for vaginas. (laughs) So I had to come up with something. Um, I've not had any feedback on it yet, actually, so I don't know how many people have listened. I've got a couple of friends who listen, and whenever we do anything like too female, (laughs) I get a message of like, uh, oh, I've just listened to this episode. So I think we educate some.
1: Yeah, well, that's what
0: we're here for. Yeah, exactly.
1: You know, you've got to do these things haven't you right so quite a different uh topic this time from me because it's my turn to go first don't have my glasses so i can't see my notes very well i'm going to try and make my thing bigger
0: i'll just oh, make that- it up it's
1: fine <laughs> that's fine right so this sort of uh this came from something i've mentioned before which was the legend buried thing and it was all about different legends coming alive in in this uh town and i was going to have like a hospital or something and i was looking at like experiments and horrible experiments on people and all that sort of stuff and that's sort of how I came across this what I'm going to talk about now but specifically I'm talking about self experiments and but I just want to share this with you because I read it and I just thought I had to share it this isn't about a self experiment but this is just a funny experiment um that the university of western ontario ontario did in 2006 so they they wanted to find out whether the average dog would seek help in an emergency so i wanted to share this because of
0: obviously Lowly. do you think she would would she go and get some help if you collapsed yeah i think she would and (laughs) well i think she'd go and like then i think she'd get a bit overwhelmed and confused and then i think she'd come back and just sit
1: Right. So this, do you want to know what happened in the experiment? This is yes. from the scientist. This is from scientist.com. So cooperative dog owners pretended to have a heart attack while they were out walking their pets. So each each dog owner would, at a predetermined spot, just suddenly like keel over and be like, oh, I'm having a heart attack, and then just go all limp oh, and God. see what their dog did. <laughs> so none of the dogs did anything. <laughs> <laughs> Most of them sniffed their owner a few times before wandering around aimlessly. Apart from one dog, which was a toy poodle, right? This was the only dog that actually, like, reacted. Apparently, it rushed over to the nearest person, jumped on her lap and rolled over for a tummy rub. Yeah, Yeah, that
0: sounds about
1: right don't rely on any canine help should anything happen to you at home they're not going to go into lassie mode unfortunately but (laughs) that was just something I wanted to share that's not what I'm talking about so we're looking at um I'm looking at self-experimentation here and I've just come across just some really interesting stories of doctors who have taken matters into their own hands to try and prove a theory or come up with some kind of uh you know medicine new treatment to treat something we're talking this this is a long time ago I don't think it happens quite so much but I do have a more contemporary example as well you're going to love this Cynthia it's really disgusting there's some really
0: really, like what kind of
1: there's some really disgusting talk coming up okay Okay. so I'm going to start with this guy called Charles Edward Brown Sequard and there's actually a brown sequard syndrome, which is something to do. He discovered something to do with the spine and some kind of um, spinal condition. But that's not why we're talking about him today. He was born in 1817 and he infused his blood into guillotined, guillotined corpses to show that dead tissue was still viable. And to explore the function. And also another thing he did was to explore the function of the skin. He wanted to see how skin worked and, you know, what the function of the skin was. So he completely covered himself in varnish wow. and students found him unconscious i just imagine them walking into his office and he's just like unconscious varnished. On the floor. Just completely to varnished and the old the only way do you know
0: what they did to try and help him oh i don't know tried to like crack it off they sandpapered the varnish off him oh my god yeah so why don't um, we pass out from the fumes or I think I think
1: if you because I, I, I don't know whether I'm getting mixed up, but isn't there an episode episode? Isn't there one of the Doctor Who films where she's completely covered in like paint and it you if your your skin can't like breathe properly or do what it's supposed to do properly if you're completely like Right. I don't know. I'll have to look into the science of it, but I don't think it's good for you.
0: Well, no, I wouldn't have thought. But then you not just right. don't think, like you're not Yeah.
1: No, I know. The other thing that he believed was that um, he thought that injecting semen into older men would boost their their physical prowess.
0: Oh my and god!
1: Obviously, he did it. He did it to himself and reported that everything had improved, including his toilet functions, which he described as a jet of urine.
0: Nice. <laughs> I think right? Oh god. <laughs> Just, you wouldn't have an ovary injected into you, mind you. Just thinking, like if you got told it made you look like younger, I bet women would.
1: I suppose, but it's who is that woman who like bathed in like virgin blood?
0: Elizabeth Bathory.
1: Yeah, that's it. So it's I guess it's a similar. I guess you're willing to try anything as well, aren't you?
0: just. I had a book idea about Elizabeth Bathory a long time ago. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm. Interesting. Uh so we're just moving on to a different guy now. um his name was Stubbins Firth, and he was born in seventeen eighty four and died in eighteen twenty so he was very young when he died. but in seventeen ninety three, there was a massive yellow fever epidemic in the states, like the biggest one ever, and it killed like five thousand people in philadelphia it It was just which is where he was based. So he was an American trainee doctor. I don't know if I've got my dates right there because that makes him a very young doctor. But anyway, I can go back and clarify if necessary. Yeah. So he was a he was an American trainee doctor and he joined the University of Pennsylvania to study America, to study medicine. And in his third year, he kind of turned his attention to this yellow fever epidemic because it was just affecting so many people around him. And he really believed that yellow fever wasn't contagious because of the drop in cases as in the winter months, because it was very much like a summer sort of disease. And he so for that reason, he thought it was all to do with the heat and like the stresses of like being really hot in the summer and stuff. He didn't think it was contagious. And he was so convinced about this that he decided to prove it to everybody by testing himself. So. He, he, he wrote a paper about it as well. And I've got some like little quotes because 40 and Times did an article on this and they have pulled out some really interesting quotes from his findings. So he noted that a yellow fever patient has constant retchings to vomit and discharges a dark colored flaky substance, sometimes in small quantities and at other times pints, quarts or even gallons are discharged. And I'm just, I'm just sharing this because you just need to have this in your mind when when we talk about what what it is that he ends up doing. He also said that when it's in when it's ejected in small quantities, the vomit is of a dark brown color resembling very strong coffee. So it's blood, isn't it? Costa's new advertising campaign right there. <laughs> um, yeah, with a portion of coffee ground shook up in it. But when it comes out, in a, in a large quantity, when it's evacuated largely, he says, it's more of a color approaching black with dark color substances floating in it. So he's, he's given us some real nice detail there. So he set about proving that, trying to prove that yellow fever wasn't contagious by testing it on himself. So he brought himself into direct contact with bodily fluids of people who'd been affected, infected. So I guess he had, uh, you know, lots of infected patients to hand at this university hospital so first of all he made incisions on his arms and smeared patients vomits into the cut into the cuts Ew. he said he reported that his wounds healed very readily oh. and he he did this over 20 times all over his all over his body um and and didn't contract it so to him that was like proof that it wasn't contagious what? when he didn't get it that way <laughs> is she alright? sorry
0: when... yeah. it's okay what? we've been out so I don't know what it is you want to come up? oh dear Who wants to play uh, <laughs> no no, we're not baiting Yeah, there we go. Listen to Georgia.
1: Yeah, listen to the nice vomit story.
0: Yeah.
1: So when it didn't, when it didn't affect him by rubbing the vomit into his cuts, uh, he then tried. He he fried the vomit and inhaled the fumes.
0: Oh my god!
1: Imagine sharing an office with this guy.
0: I know it's like tuna in the microwave.
1: Yeah, and um, nothing happened. He still didn't get it. So then he heated six ounces of vomit and stayed in the room while it evaporated. And he said, "This is this is what he said about it." Toward the end of the experiment, I felt languid and fainty, which I think you probably would. Yeah. But he recovered when he left the room and got some fresh air. So not happy with that, he didn't think that was proof enough. He then decided to drink it diluted. So he diluted a bit of uh vomit fresh vomit from his patients he said the taste was very slightly acid which I think is
0: stomach acid
1: yeah uh, I wonder whether he sort of lost all sense of taste and smell by this point because uh, anyway then (sighs) oh yeah first of all he drank it diluted and then he worked his way up to drinking it undiluted it didn't end there and Wanting to prove it wasn't contagious once and for all, he moved on from the vomit. So he then took other bodily fluids from patients and... Like what? Blood, saliva, and the best one, urine. Yeah. He still didn't catch the disease, even after he rubbed all of this, all of that stuff into those cuts. And then... One final, one final go just to make sure, just to make sure that his findings were, you know, accurate. And I'll just read his quote from his paper. It says, Two drops of fresh black vomit into my right eye.
0: (laughs) You're thinking of Eyeball Paul from uh, from Perry.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Eyeball Paul. And he said he felt a little uneasy for about a minute. Oh, really? That's... Yeah, yeah. So he was really happy with these results and he published them in a paper called A Treatise on Malignant Fever with an attempt to prove its non-contagious, non-malignant nature. And unfortunately, later on, it turned out that some of the samples he was using were from like late stage patients so that their bodily fluids were no longer contaminated with the virus so it it would never have really proved anything anyway unfortunately after all of that but then obviously 60 years later is when there was a cuban scientist called carlos finlay he discovered that it was mosquitoes who were carrying the disease but even then scientists and doctors were skeptical about that about what he what what he was theorizing until there was a US army doctor called Dr Walter Reed and he believed it and so he got members of his own team to get bitten by mosquitoes oh no and, yeah and they and they proved it so so even even then like a long time later they were still kind of doing this self experimentation which i just think is incredible but i i found one more which was more contemporary so this is from 1981 and there was a, a hospital i think he was a hospital intern his name was Barry Marshall and he was watching loads of people getting really ill from ulcers and apparently back then like in the 80s if you got a stomach ulcer it was just like oh it's just stress it's just stress you just need to like try and calm down go on a holiday or something but then it it could get like really serious ulcers could become really really serious for people and they'd end up having to have part of their stomach removed or they could end up dying from it. And he kept seeing all of this. And so he he was like he believed that it could just be treated with antibiotics, but nobody would accept that. Nobody would believe it. So he started working with someone called Robin Warren at the Royal Perth Hospital. He was the pathologist, this Royal, this Robin Warren. And He because he discovered a couple of years before that the gut could be overrun by bacteria called helicobacter pylori (laughs) um they biopsied some ulcer patients and cultured the organism organisms in a lab and so they kind of not that they trace not just ulcers but also stomach cancer to from this gut infection so it was like quite it was quite a big serious thing that they discovered but it says mainstream gastro oh god I can't say this word gastro (laughs) experts I'm gonna say they were really dismissive and they just they just would not let go of this idea that and actually when you when you do you remember 80s movies there are always people talking about having an ulcer oh I've got an ulcer I'm so stressed
0: and I think yeah from stress yeah
1: but that's that's just what they put it down to. And they just said, you just need to try and calm down rather than like administering any antibiotics or anything like that. Mm. So what they did was they they tried to prove this theory on lab mice, but they couldn't do because this particular bacteria doesn't affect. um, It only affects humans. Well, it says only affects primates, so it didn't work. Right. So they weren't allowed to test on people, obviously, for, you know, medical and legal reasons and so he got so desperate this guy and was so certain about what he was theorizing that he just tested it on that only human patient he could which was himself so he got some of this bacteria from the gut of somebody who had the bacteria stirred it into a broth and then he drank it oh no I mean even that, that doesn't seem very scientific does it it's not as bad as rubbing it in your eyeball, but it's, no. it doesn't seem very scientific. Still, so as the as time went on, he developed he developed gastritis, which is the precursor to an ulcer, and he started vomiting and all of those symptoms and everything. He felt really sick and exhausted, and then he biopsied his own gut and cultured that bacteria and then was able to prove that it was that bacteria that was caused that was the underlying cause of those of those ulcers and then that was like that was the evidence they needed to then treat people with ulcers with antibiotics
0: oh god that was a
1: kind yeah that was a kind of happy ending one because it feels like it wasn't a waste of time and and it it changed a lot you know how they how they managed and dealt with these particular ailments but I just thought it was fascinating. I'd never even thought it was a thing. Although, you know, back then I know they were a bit wild because, you know, the Victorian Victorians, doctors and stuff, I mean, they were all just completely high off their tits on yeah. drugs, weren't they? So they'd
0: be like, yeah. oh, yeah, let's, you know, cut myself open. and. But then it's like if they didn't do some of those things, would we have the understanding that we yeah, have?
1: I, I bet there's loads of things that they did actually do that, that did then result yeah. in, oh, well, we understand that a bit more now.
0: And like, but just,
1: yeah,
0: doing it on yourself is probably the only ethical yeah. option.
1: Yeah. the I think the thing that got me with this guy, Stubbins Firth, was just like how determined he was to like cover every base where he was like, right, I've done the, I've done the vomit. Yeah. Right now I'm going to, I'm going to do the urine and I'm going to, I'll just rub it in my eye just for (laughs) just to make sure just in case there's so there's no margin for like any kind of you know he he didn't get it right anyway so there you go
0: I remember reading about I was listening to an audio book, and it was um it was like about old surgeries and stuff and one of them was a woman who had I don't know if it was the first mastectomy, but it was like olden days, and she had a mastectomy because she had breast cancer, and they didn't have anesthetics <gasps> and I didn't know it was coming in the book and I listened to it, I was like, oh my God uh-huh. but I was just fascinated at the same time, yeah, um for anyone who doesn't know, like obviously I had a mastectomy, so oh my God, the thought of like because they literally take every single bit of tissue oh and so there was like descriptions of just them scraping oh and she i mean and obviously didn't... she'd like they i think they had like um chloroform yeah <laughs> For people who can't see me i'm putting my hand over my face like i'm like drugging myself um did you so I think you they were a listening to it as well on audio mm oh listen. that's even worse I and I think it was like a bedtime listen so I think oh. like, my eyes kind of popped open like <laughs> <what>? <laughs> this what? is not soothing not that <laughs> not that medical text should be soothing for me. <laughs> <laughs> I am that person um yeah so it's just fascinating but I think she I think she was a medical person right so she and was like, yeah let's that's give it why a she lunch. was like let's do it yeah. let's let's see if it works yeah so, my god it's like bravery and madness all rolled into one yeah and of course it was the right it would have been the right thing to do wouldn't it but
1: yeah going through a level of pain for oh and then all the risks with that massive kind of surgery like that back in those times
0: yeah just infection alone it's like yeah oh that's weird crazy Mm -hmm. very creepy yeah anyway i'd rather they did that than like use little mice though or something I not I'd rather they did it on themselves than use well, on yeah it. yeah definitely you know <laughs> yeah right get comfortable so I kind of got to the point where I was like I didn't know what I was gonna do for research um there's probably loads of things I could do from previous books but I'm in that phase now where I'm like editing a couple of books and I'm yet to start writing a new one right and the new one's like starting to piece together in my head a little bit mm. um so I've been looking up um cursed objects and things like that I think i want a cursed object or something in my new book and then I thought where do you find a cursed object where? Oh, of course. So I've got some strange things that have been found in attics. I thought you were going to say I've got some cursed objects in my attic. No, my attic is full of. I think the Christmas tree. <laughs> I think that's it. Yeah. and my Halloween decorations, which are growing oh, by the year.
1: That's a that's a good short story. Christmas short horror story, isn't it? Oh yeah, horrible and older.
0: Christmas tree decoration. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, yeah, that would be good. Yeah. So I had a... I just Googled weird things found in attics and a few links <laughs> came up and then I had to look through them. One that I've not included, but that it's not good, but I laughed out loud when I read it. It was, um, you know, like, number seven on the list of weird things found in attics. Your ex-boyfriend. <laughs> and there's, like, cases of of like exes or I mean there's cases of strangers living in people's houses but there's a couple of cases where it's like an ex-boyfriend and this one in particular was someone who'd been released from prison and then went and just lived in the attic of this woman's house even though she'd like got on with her life so I didn't read too much about it and it didn't quite fit in with what I was looking for so I glossed no, over but it. We,
1: we're invested now so you'll have to you'll have to get get into that the next one yeah and when you kept saying cases of people I was just I was just visual, visualizing like suitcases full of like body parts
0: well <laughs> <laughs> that was a very good intro because so I think I picked four um so the first one was a human hand and a treasure map and a treasure map yeah So in Florida, a family found a box and in it was some Spanish coins, a human hand and a treasure map. So it all looks really old. And it so there's a little video and it's really it must be the 90s. It's like really old footage. And the guy's got a proper handlebar mustache. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he just looks very Florida 90s. So it was like a long, slim box. And it was like a reddish brown color. And when you opened it up, everything had like its place in the box. Like it was all, you know, set into a certain, Mm. um, it looked like a film prop. It looked, you know, it was quite impressive. So in this box, there were some Spanish coins, a human hand and a treasure map. They've called them artifacts, but then they've dated them to the 1920s or 30s. And it was all a little bit jumbled up and I couldn't find loads of information. So it was a guy called Mike Lopez. And he found them in his grandparents' attic. And I get the impression the grandparents had passed away and they were sorting the house out, but that mm-hmm. might be wrong. So he took it to an expert or a historian or something, and they dated the coins back to the 1920s. Now, I don't know if they're replicas, because mm-hmm. when you see them, they look like old doubloony kind of coins. But then the the guy on the the news segment or whatever it is, is saying that they're too thin and they're not heavy enough to be real. Um, And then because they've been dated to the 1920s, I get the impression that they were like replicas of an older kind of coin. They're not sure if the hand is real or human. So I don't know. They kept saying, we don't know if it's human. I don't know if they meant like, we don't know if it's a real hand or if they think it's something else's hand. I don't know. Well, oh, um, you'd find out, wouldn't it? Well, you would think so. So this is, mm. all, I think this happened and then was like never looked at again. Well, you wouldn't, would you? Just no. close the mid. Well, yeah, we would. Um, so the map that was in there was of Tampa's Hillsborough River. So the grandkids suspected that the granddad was a pirate in his younger years. Because oh. he used to tell them stories about pirating. But then when you look at the timeline, it doesn't really make sense. And then so it says that river is prominent in like local law about pirates and stuff. But historians say that the contents are way too recent to belong to an actual pirate and the, the dates don't quite match up. Mm. So if you think it was 90s, say if that guy was born even in the 1900s, so he'd have to be a pirate in like the 1920s, which is when the stuff dates from. Mm -hmm. but it just doesn't no it doesn't
1: quite add up does it
0: no um the hand was like mummified Mm. so it was like you could see the bones in but it still had all the skin on and it was very brown and crinkly and it had a big medallion style ring on it Cynthia was doing a bit of
1: a mummified hand impression there (laughs) (laughs) you couldn't see it but it was brilliant
0: I'm doing a little (laughs) little... (laughs) um I think it looks like something from a film set. It's yeah. like an old, it reminded me of what film? Goonies. The Goonies. That's exactly Goody. what it reminded me of. Yeah. Looking at the news footage of when it was discovered, it looks late 80s, early 90s. So it right. could have so, been, yeah. you know, it could. they could have been like, oh, look what we found. And it was all yeah. fake. Um, Because in the box as well is a black and white photograph of two people at their wedding. And they're saying it's a picture of the grandparents, and the the historian guy goes, "Oh, and this is a such a thing photograph, so I don't know if it was like a famous photographer in the area or something, yeah. so in this box with like a mummified hand, some Spanish coins and a map is a wedding photograph of the grandparents, yeah, so i don't I couldn't find any more in it, I couldn't find any updates um." I'd like Did you to say know.
1: that it was in uh, inside a box that l- it looked as
0: though the box had been made specifically to hold all these things. It looks like it it's like this long skinny box, almost like you know one of those like um you know when you get a fancy cutlery set and it's stone yes. box, so it's like yeah. that, but long and skinny, and when yeah. you open it up, like the hand has been wired into place like to hold it in place. they're not just all thrown into. No, you know, so they're all like they're all in their own specific little parts,
1: mm-hmm. Interesting.
0: Um, yeah. So, I don't know. So, the next one was so it says Henry the Fourth, but then it's spelt Henri, which I much prefer. So, Henri the Fourth, um, he's head. Oh, so he's not related to the English King Henry's. Because I looked it up because I was a bit like, is he? Yeah. Like so, no, he was completely different. Um, he died in like sixteen ten, and he was the first king of the Bourbon dynasty in France. Bourbon, Bourbon yeah. Mm-hmm. So like a- again, question. a couple of like discrepancies so i found one article that said um in 1919 it was a photographer who bought this head at auction and then it got passed on to a tax collector in 1955
1: because somebody couldn't pay their taxes they were like (laughs) can you
0: imagine this head (laughs) (laughs) i spent all my money but i've got this (laughs) um then it says a retired tax collector found it in his attic so I don't know, but apparently like at some point in the 90s or the 80s, someone just found it in their attic. It's all mm. 80s, 90s. This. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Best time to find stuff in your attic, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um. So found a mummified skull in an attic in France. So in 18th century Paris, it was the French Revolution and the skull was pillaged from its grave. So obviously French Revolution was like people uprising against royalty. So I think they went as far as like digging up previous royalty yeah. and like destroying the remains. Um, There was a photograph of it and it looks like a paper mache. Like it looks like it's wrapped in paper. It's really strange. So it's mm. like it's been embalmed and it's mummified itself. So it's still got like this really stretched paper like skin. Yeah. Um, it's quite scary. Mm-hmm. So he ruled France four hundred years ago. So this like head is four hundred years old. Um and so experts in inverted commas because it kept saying the experts set, but then it makes no mention of like who they are or whatever. <laughs> um, say that. The clothes that were with it were the original clothes that he was buried in and embalmed in. And apparently they knew that somehow. Um, And then scientists studied the skull and they confirmed, again, in inverted commas, because I don't know how you could confirm it, because it says they confirmed that the skull had all the same injuries that you can see in a portrait of him that's like 400 years old. (laughs) Oh really? Yeah, so I'm not sure about that. Um, Would a portrait have all of his injuries in it as well, weren't they? (laughs) Not the one they used in the article. No. Like and they've been like, don't don't put my broken nose in this one, guys. Exactly. That's what happens. Like in portraits, you would get, you know, it's like like ultimate Photoshop, isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. Paint my boobs two size bigger, please. Like who's gonna know? It's yeah. (laughs) So um, they also confirmed that so the skull had a healed bone fracture and they confirmed that that was from an assassination attempt in 1594 that had taken place on, on Henri, which obviously there wouldn't have been the same kind of medical documents and stuff, so how they confirmed that, I don't believe. Yeah. Well, the head is now in the uh, Basilica of St. Denis where many other rulers have been buried. But apparently, the latest thing on it was it was disputed by genetic experts saying that they didn't know if it really was his head. So mm-hmm. whether, whether people have now looked into it further or will look into it further, um, we might find out that it was just some poor peasant and not the yeah. king at all. So an actual mummy. Um. So I've put 2013... I only did this research this morning I don't know why I've written 2013 I don't know if that's when this happened I don't know if that's when the article was from but <laughs> it says 10 year old Alex found a sarcophagus containing a mummy in her um his grandmother's house in Germany oh my goodness a 10 year old can you imagine being 10 and finding oh. it? R.L. Stein would be all over that wouldn't he? Yeah so there's actually photographs of it so it's in a wooden crate but it's in a sarcophagus so the sarcophagus is in like a wooden shipping crate it's got hieroglyphics on it um, and apparently at first they weren't sure if it was real or if it was like some weird kind of prop or like apparently it had been like undisturbed in the attic for years because I read a different article where it said the granddad had passed away. So the family were just helping the grandma sort things out. And yeah. there was loads of packing crates in the attic that had never been opened. So, you know, and grandma didn't know what they were in them. Granddad had obviously never told her. So they went looking, and one of them had this in. Um so weren't sure if it was real, but then Alex, who found it, his dad who I wrote down his name because it's such a good name, Lutz Wolfgang Hitler. Oh. That's a good name. Yeah. He said he was going to – it was really weird. I don't know if it was, like, translated from German, but it was really weirdly uh, worded in the article that I read because he said, I don't know if it's real or not, so I'm going to drive it to Berlin. (laughs) Oh. This image of him like driving the mummy. No. In yeah. <laughs> I mean, I you see. Yeah. They driving <laughs> it to Berlin so some experts could look at it. So that made <laughs> um but then they he they, he did believe that it might have been real because apparently his late father used to travel to North Africa all the time in the nineteen fifties and like ship home all sorts of stuff. Mm. And apparently in the nineteen fifties there was still a trade in genuine mummies and mummy unwrapping parties were like, oh. a cool thing to do oh yuck yeah. that I is know. so obscene yeah and 1950s seems quite yeah. like the victorians you you know um and then completely randomly in the middle of the article asked if it smelled bad he said no Really, <laughs> just like randomly shoved in there um would a mummy smell bad? Like it's so old, surely all smell particles yeah, it's gone. gone. Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. So I think it might have been translated from. There's just some very Germany humor bits in it that yeah. like, <laughs> haven't translated well to English. Um. So they believed that it's been in the attic, undisturbed for at least forty years, and that it's potentially a real mummy. Again, couldn't find a follow up. Don't know if it was real. Um. And then this is my favorite which I could not find anything on anywhere apart from this so I think it's a bit of a creepy pasta mm. but I really like it so in a 200 year old farmhouse in Ossining New York a team of investigators in inverted commas again because I don't know what they're investigating stumbled upon a collection of vintage baby carriages oh Creepy enough. Ugh. Well, each pram had a well-preserved dead small animal that was swaddled perfectly and placed in the pram. Oh my goodness. Each carriage held a different animal and there were ten of them in all, including cats, dogs, raccoons and squirrels. That just is the start of a horror film isn't it
1: it really is
0: yeah so I couldn't find anything anywhere but um I quite like that one yeah so then I thought about all the films where stuff is found in an attic yeah can you think of any off the top of your head
1: well only the goonies obviously
0: yeah and then evil dead wasn't on the list but you no know, they find that in a cabin don't they the book
1: I remember an episode of eerie indiana where he finds a radio in the attic and it it's tuned into like and it keeps playing that classic
0: and it's tuned into that era
1: and it's got oh. a girl in
0: it who's dying do you remember Do you remember? i one? don't you know what i don't remember many of them i must watch them because mm-hmm. i've got an eerie india Indi- uh, an eerie indiana t-shirt And when I was up in Scotland doing a book thing recently, there was two American, like, middle-aged gents having breakfast next to me. And one of them came up afterwards and went, hey, are you from India? And I had to explain the T-shirt. And that no, I wasn't. I was from Manchester. And uh, it was just an old 90s TV show that he had never heard of.
1: Yeah. I can't think of any other attic. I mean, isn't... um hellraiser isn't that isn't
0: that got something to do with an attic oh maybe where do they find so one of the things i looked up actually um someone had found a puzzle box in an attic mm. and solved it and then the article literally said like why would you do that after watching hellraiser but apparently when they opened it it was full of jewelry oh mm-hmm. well that's all right then So, films where stuff is found in the attic. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the list that I found on Google, flowers in the attic. I think that's a bit of a stretch, isn't it? Literal children found in the attic. Yeah. There's a horror film called Sinister. Have you seen that? With Ethan Hawke. Mm. Um, and he finds some old like eight millimeter videotapes in the attic and so what does he do does he watch them oh of course he does he doesn't only watch them but he is renting a house where a whole family killed themselves because he's an investigative journalist it's a really good film actually mm. uh, beetlejuice of course yeah uh black christmas have you seen that Yes. Yeah. So, Black Christmas, where the phone is in the attic, and mm-hmm. there's dead bodies in the. There's all sorts going on in the attic. Skeleton key. Yes, I was just. You know, I was just picturing skeleton key. I think. Yeah, Kate Hudson. I watched yeah. it not that long ago. Um, yeah, it's quite good. It is, it is good. I think it's underrated. Skeleton key. Yeah. Hereditary. You seen that, seen that one? That um. So the ending all takes place in an attic and there's, like, a big reveal yeah. in the attic. And then the grudge, because in the original, the spirit lives in the attic. That's she? Oh, in the in original? The, yeah, in the yeah. Japanese one. Um, And I'm sure there's loads more because I feel like I can see them. And there's always – maybe old kids' TV shows, there's, like, always someone – exploring an attic and there's like a mannequin draped in a sheet up there Yeah, yeah. you know I want
1: to say that there's a part of gremlins which is in the attic
0: where the woman shoots out of the ceiling I'm Um,
1: I'm picturing the like the the egg cocoon things that they sprout and I'm picturing them in an attic but I might be thinking of a different film I don't know It's, it's what we were talking about all those like memories and best bits from lots of different films coming together to make up something in your head so it might be a bit yeah
0: Yeah. well I think I think the next book might open with finding something in an attic oh yeah why not yeah so that's quite exciting which is worse an attic or a cellar I think I think a cellar but we've never had one like I always had an attic growing up but it's the thought of going like down isn't it and then that there could be something else Buried
1: underneath. Yeah, yeah. I would never if I I would never buy a house with a seller I don't think I'd be like Nah, you're all right. I don't I don't think we'll.
0: I think if I did, I would have to turn it into something really like lovely and light, and light air, and airy. Yeah, know, to make it a nice place to be. But uh, yeah. my book that's not been announced yet that should be out at the start of next year that's got a basement in it. Mm mm it's a proper don't go into the basement yeah um but when we were growing up, my bedroom was in the attic like we had I had a massive bedroom because it was like the whole top floor of a terraced house. yeah, so we never really used it for spooky storage or no anything like that. and now we've just got like a little loft hatch. So it's not quite the same, but I love the thought of the big old houses where it's like the whole floor of the house and just everything yeah. that's not used is put up there. Yeah. You know, lo- loads of prams with little dead mummified with Lucy's taxidermied animals in them.
1: <laughs> yeah, there was a short story I read about a guy who was like all the way through the story. I can't remember who wrote it. But I think all the way through he's, he's catching animals and taxidermying them. And then at the end of the story, you find out that it's not animals he's been catching. And that's what it and that's what it reminded me of. But yeah, that is really creepy.
0: See, in my head, it's quite sweet. It's like they found somebody has found this little dead animal and like looked after it. And but that's just in my brain.
1: Depends on the size of the animal. We said this, didn't we? Because when we would like yeah. the the mice is quite cute. But then when you get to bigger things, you're a bit like, uh, yeah, kind of losing its Its cuteness now.
0: Yeah, if you have like a taxidermied cow (laughs) stuffed inside a pram. (laughs) Yeah, a really big (laughs) pram. Oh,
1: udders in the air. Oh dear. Oh god. Honestly, always
0: have to go there.
1: I know it's probably that's probably a good note to end on, isn't it?
0: (laughs) Damaged udders in the air. Yeah. waving them like you just don't care yeah nice (laughs) okay right guys we will see you next time yeah bye 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 browser history deleted